Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Michelle Cox is a mystery and history author of five novels in the Henrietta and Inspector Howard series, all set in the 1930s. She is also the author of Novel Notes of Local Lore, a weekly blog dedicated to Chicago's forgotten residents. Her books have won over 50 international awards and have been praised by Kirkus, Library Journal, Publishers Weekly, Booklist, Elle, Red Book, Britain Company, Pop Sugar, BuzzFeed, and so many more. Unbeknownst to most, Michelle hoards board games that she has no time to play and is not surprisingly, however, addicted to period dramas and big band music. Also, marmalade. She lives in Chicago with her husband, three children, a naughty golden doodle, and is hard at work on her latest novel. Welcome, Michelle Cox. Hi, Grace. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I've so enjoyed your work and following you in social media. I want to go right to the blog, however. I was drawn to your work because of how beautifully, sensitively, and authentically you talk about these much, much older individuals and give them a story. Will you talk to our listeners about that? Sure. Yeah. I love the blog, if I do say so myself. Um, yeah, the, the the blog stems from uh, my time working in a nursing home. So um, basically, when I was sort of searching for a blog idea, um, I just didn't, I didn't want to write another writing blog or marketing blog or something like that. So I decided to take a lot of these stories that I had heard in the nursing home and um, turn them into sort of little weekly stories. And they're just ordinary um, Chicago residents. Um, a lot of them sort of had their heyday in the 30s and 40s. And they just have amazing stories to tell, even if there was nothing spectacular about their life. Um, and I. I think it really resonates with people because the blog actually has its own little following separate from my books, which I think is just amazing. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I love the stories and it's so exciting that there are a lot of readers who, who enjoy them as well. I was just so touched by you, you have this lovely picture of them as a young person and then you very honestly deal with that part, but also how sometimes they are now lonely or in, uh, weakened conditions or in some cases not able to communicate any longer. The value that you put on those voices, I think is so beautiful. And I I just want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful way to honor their story and what they contributed, you know, to to not only Chicago, but beyond. So I was going to ask you, which came first, the books or the blog? But it sounds (laughs) like the blog came later. How come? It did. You know, because when I started writing, um, I was a complete newbie. I mean, it. I I couldn't have been a more newbie-ish newbie. And I started working. So I signed the contract with Sherrits Press for um, 
A Girl Like You, which is the first book in the series. So I signed that contract in December of uh, 2014, and the book did not come out until April of 2016. So that gave me um, almost a year and a half to sort of get up to speed. Um, and I, I didn't, I wasn't online at all. I had a flip phone. Um, I, yeah, I didn't even have a Facebook account, like a personal account. I just had no interest in being online at all. And I started working with a PR company and they said, <laughs> you know, you need a website, you need, um, a newsletter, you need a blog. And I said, there's just, and everything they said to me, I'm like, well, there's no way I'm doing a blog. <laughs> They're like, well, um, you know, you might want to rethink that. So they were pretty gentle about it. And eventually I sort of came around to it and um, I would write these things and I'd send them over to them and they'd say, you know, this is a lovely essay, but it, it's not a blog. So um, we had a couple of trial and errors. And then finally, it just, like I said, it just dawned on me why don't I share these stories? I've always wanted to do something with these stories. And this seems like it would be a perfect sort of fit with the brand because I write historical fiction. And I actually took one of these stories and based a girl like you on one of these uh, people that I had met there. So it to me, it just seemed once I had the idea, it just seemed like a natural fit. I think it is a beautiful fit because in many ways, as I was reading in preparation for today, in your blog, you capture the story of voices that are sometimes silenced. And in your book, you really do the same thing for a whole generation and a whole era of people in the 30s. You have such lovely nuances and characters in there. But why the 30s? That's 90 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, to be honest, I, I've always had more of... Um, uh, a love of the 40s, you know, with the big band music. And um, I, the first book I ever wrote, which didn't get published, was set in the 40s. And the reason I chose the 30s is a very weird reason. Um, like I said, I based this, uh, the character of Henrietta, on a real life person that I met in the nursing home. And she told me about her fantastic life in Chicago and she had all these stories. And uh, one of the things that was unique to her was that she had all these strange jobs in, in Depression-era Chicago, which I thought was very interesting. And one of them was working as a Dutch girl at the World's Fair, and um, which was in the 1933 in Chicago. And I just love that detail so much that I really wanted to include that. And at the time, I thought that I was just writing a one-off mystery I didn't realize it was going to turn into a series. <laughs> so if I had known that, I might not have chosen the 30s because, like I said, I think I had more knowledge going in about the 40s. But as it is, I'm glad now that that happened because now I sort of have a love for that era as well. And because, um, you know, just from a marketing standpoint, there's not, there's, you know, a ton of World War II books and there's now you know, getting to be with Downton Abbey and all of that, a lot of um, World War One. So I feel like this fits nicely in between there and um, sort of answers that need. Tell our listeners what a Dutch girl is. Oh, yeah, she, good question. Um, apparently she worked um, for a Dutch rubber company. I don't know the name. And they had a tent or a booth or whatever. And she would have to dress up um, 
to look like a traditional Dutch girl. And she would hand out flyers all day long to people that pass by about this Dutch rubber company. And she said it was her most favorite job ever because on her lunch break, she got to walk around the fair. So that's wonderful. And that Chicago fair is the same one that we read about in Devil in the White City. Exactly. Yep. Such an amazing part of Chicago's history. And Chicago is such an important part of everything you write about. Yeah, it really is. It's my adoptive city. So I grew up about mm, four hours from here um, along the Mississippi River, small town. So I came here for college and I've never left. What are some of the things that you found out in your research that you'd love to share with us? Well, um, I think um, probably the biggest um, piece of history that I uncovered was what the research that went into book five, which is the latest book in the series, A Child Lost, because that book um, is released centered around Dunning Asylum, which was a real life um, mental um, insane asylum in Chicago in the Northwest side. And I had heard of it, but I didn't know very much about it. And so when I sort of went digging, you know, it, it, it's, you know, what you would expect. It was a terrible place and many atrocities went on there. And in in fact, when they raised it, I think it was in the sixties, um, they found, you know, a giant mass, uh, burial, cemetery behind and um, mass graves. So they even had a, what was called a crazy train that ran the, the Milwaukee uh, Union Pacific um, line changed their track so that there would be a track that basically ran up to the asylum, almost to the front door. So people in Chicago, like the, the police or, you know, physicians or whoever was in charge of it would just basically stuffed the crazy train with insane people and or people they thought were insane and then deliver them to this asylum and never never to be heard again from again so that was terrible and some of the you know what 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 happened to the people when they were in there and I it was hard to not put all of that in the novel but a Clive and Henrietta book is really not (laughs) I couldn't I it couldn't be that dark. So I had to really kind of ride that line. And I think you do that really, really well. Uh, Historical fiction used to be my first go-to. And then at some point I got involved in many other types of (laughs) literature, but reading your work and a few others, I just love being able to pop back into time and to learn those types of things that you just mentioned that, Today, we can't imagine those things. I'm sure there are other atrocities. We know there are other atrocities. But to think about how things have changed in 90 years, things like that, we we just can't imagine. Another piece that you had talked about in one of your books was about how when families couldn't afford children, they would just send them to orphanages. And I'd like you to share more about the detail of that. Yeah, Um that is another thing I, I did have to research. So the the nursing home where I used to work, which is where I got all the stories for the blog and the story of Henrietta, um, was called the Bohemian Home for the Aged and Orphans. And um, apparently this was a common thing, especially different in, immigrant groups that came over 
um, or different religious groups would have their own hospital or their own um, maybe asylum also would have their own orphanages. So a lot of times parents who could not afford their children or maybe their spouse died, usually it was if a wife died and the husband was left with seven kids, had to work. So he would often take his kids to an orphanage and they would have to live there. And sometimes they would be adopted out to other families. So this was really shocking to me as well. And that also plays into um, the, the series as well. What's the hardest thing about writing historical fiction? The hardest thing about writing historical fiction is um, the dialogue because I'm a real stickler for, even if I'm watching, you know, a period drama, any modern phrase, and people, I think, don't even realize what a modern phrase might be, you know, and and you have to really, to, to that's the thing that will, they'll jump a reader out of the story just like that, is when they are reading a dialogue that that's very modern and then you know the the whole effect that you're trying to create is is spoiled so i think that's really hard is to get that dialogue accurate and it's also hard writing historical fiction i think to have a woman protagonist who is authentic to the time in the way she sees the world and the way she thinks and maybe her relationships, but also have her be relatable to a modern reader. So I think that's a a fine line to walk. I would not have thought about the dialogue being as difficult. Obviously you're not gonna have the kid run into the house and (laughs) say like, like mom, like what's, so I, I get that, but how do you, because language is so specific. How do you immerse yourself there in those 30s? Well, I, I feel like it, it's one of my particular skills because, um, and I think that I, I have that, I just think I have a very astute ear for language and for the way people talk. Um, and my major in college was um, English literature. So i Basically, even as a kid, even as like a 10-year-old kid, I was reading the classics. So I've been reading the classics for, you know, until I was, my third kid was born in my 40s. And then I, that was the first time I started reading contemporary fiction because I just, you know, couldn't handle the classics anymore. But I, I think that that's all somehow sort of stored in the back of my brain, sort of that that language and that dialogue. And then also I've I've watched every period drama I think ever known to man. So that sort of sticks in my head as well. So when I'm typing along, it's just not very difficult for me to to write in a way that that I think they would have spoke. I love how you spoke too about making your characters both authentic. And relatable because a woman in the 30s is certainly faced with very different experiences than a woman 90 years later, both in terms of careers and life options. So where do you put those stories to make them up to date, if you will? Um, yeah, it's tricky. Um uh, Henrietta, I, I I have a little bit of leeway with her because um, she was based on this person who had this extraordinary sort of um, outlook. So she was a very 
beautiful woman. And she would tell me that she had a man stopping body (laughs) and a personality to go with it. And um, she was kind of a firecracker in her day. So she had all of these jobs. Um, Getting a job was not difficult for her, even though it was depression because she was so beautiful. But it was difficult for her to keep the job because she was very virtuous and she was constantly being Um, felt up or, you know, attacked in the back room by the owner or the manager and she would slap them and then she'd be out, which I think took a lot of courage if you think about it, for her to do that in the depression. Absolutely. So that to me told me a lot about her character. And so that was, it was a great jumping off point because she could be this person who is clearly willing to stand up for herself, maybe not the typical woman of the 30s. So I'm able to sort of sort of use that. And then I can take other characters like her younger sister, Elsie, I think who has a more 30s mindset of submission and obedience and, and that sort of thing and sort of, you know, play with that. So after the five books, do you have a favorite character? <laughs> oh, that's because so hard. Because I know I've listened to your interviews and some of the more for lack of a better description, the more minor characters have stood up and say, it is time for my story to be told. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And they, they do like to take over. I've, I've, as I've said, Elsie, the younger sister has now, you know, her, her plot line is about half the book and the other half is, you know, Henry and Clive's solving a mystery. So I think it's almost time for Elsie to maybe have her own series <laughs> because she definitely has changed from the very beginning when she was just a minor character. Um, yeah, as for favorites, I, I, of course, I'm going to love Henrietta and Clive. You know, they're the easiest to write because I know them the best because every book, uh, new characters come into it and those are... You know, I feel like I'm a director and, um, you know, when there's a scene where, you know, Clive and Henrietta are acting, it's very easy to direct them because I know them so well and we have this relationship. Whereas new people coming onto the set, you know, are a little bit stiff and a little bit awkward and, you know, I have to work with them a little bit to get them to do what I want them to do. But I certainly- love you describe them that way. I've never, <laughs> I've never heard another <laughs> author describe it quite like that. Yeah. So, so keep talking about that. That's so delightful that you're the director, but you also know your characters. I think for some listeners, they will be surprised that these are not fictional people, right? They are, <laughs> no. they, they are not fictional people. No, they're not. No, I, I've told this story before that, you know, there was once, I have this 30s play loop that's always, that for, you know, the first three years of writing the series, I had this on constantly in the car. And um, one time the kids were in the car with me, you know, of course, by now they hate this CD. And um, I said, oh, you guys, you guys, this, this is Clive and Henrietta's favorite song. They're like, (laughs) mom, they're not real. (laughs) Like, oh yeah, I forgot. So it's true. It really is true. They really do live in my mind. Um, But yeah, as far as it, another, you know, way that I sort of look at this in terms of like a director is... Uh, each book is almost like a new episode and I can't fit the whole gigantic cast into this episode. So I have to choose which characters, which storyline are going to play in this week's episode and then go from there and then, you know, be willing to let the the other characters kind of have a bit of a rest. So 
Yeah. I think that's a great way to think about the writing process. I, I have heard other authors talk about it being episodic. And I think that that's something that um, I might want to adopt in my own writing. <laughs> You've talked about some pretty hard issues, though. We already referred to the crazy train for what it was called. But you also have your characters dealing with mental illnesses. Why was that important to you? Well, I think because um, the way I had originally written Henrietta's mother as being chronically depressed um, sort of set the stage for that. And that was something I, I realized I could delve into a little bit deeper. And then when, you know, I was dealing with um, one of the characters having epilepsy and that was, that is also very true that there wasn't, there's an epileptic colony or there used to be colonies where they would be sent. Um, it, it all sort of started to come together where I'm like, you know what, I think this book, I think that this is what the, th- one of the themes of this book is going to be is, is dealing with mental illness in the thirties and how you were treated differently based on how much money you had, which, you know, it's not too dissimilar from today. So, yeah. I do think that that was one of the things that makes your characters more relatable because we already talked about the Henrietta with the whole idea of the Me Too movement. We've got the mental health issues, which are continuing to surface as recently as our Olympics just recently. So I I think that that's a beautiful way for you to bring the past and the present together for your readers. I said at the start of our interview that I was drawn to you by your blog. I'm also drawn to you because you must be one of the hardest working (laughs) authors I know. You are constantly out there, constantly pitching, constantly learning a new technology. And I heard you at the beginning of the interview say, oh no, I don't really need a website. (laughs) How did that transformation happen, Michelle Cox? Oh my gosh, who knows? I mean, um, yeah, I guess it's just, I have this drive, you know, to be, if I'm going to do something, I want to do it a hundred percent. And that's why it takes me a while. It took me about four years to think about even writing a book because I'm like, I'm not going to do it unless I think I can do it really well. And so once I stepped into this world, I mean, of, you know, everybody thinks is the difficult part is writing a book is actually not, you know, getting it published and then is, you know, another mountain you have to climb. And then once you get to that mountain, you think, oh, you know, I've made it. And then you realize you're just at the bottom of another mountain, which is called, you know, um, marketing and, <laughs> and PR. So uh, I decided that I was going to try to master that as well. And, you know, you, you just, you have to make yourself do it. <laughs> And you're an inspiration in that entire field. You and I have tested different types of technology together. <laughs> no, and, thanks for that. Oh, no, it's, I, I, I still continue to learn from you. You came to storytelling late. Why yeah. storytelling and why is it so important? You know, um, I think I got to a point in my life where um, I, depressed people are sort of attracted to me. And um, so I would sort of absorb their, you know, their woes. And I, it just, it, it suddenly occurred to me that I was spending so much brain energy um, dealing with, you know, the negativity around me. And like, you know what, you should be using your brain activity to do something creative, something positive. And I think I've always been a creative um, always it's it, once I realized that I could see that this creativity has been trying to come out of me all my life and so I thought why don't you try to write the book you always wanted to write 
And um, that was sort of sort of the start of it. And I, you know, I think that's why I keep going. It's because that that creative outlet is so fulfilling. It's so um, nurturing, and uh, you know, it's it's the the positive part of my life. Well, you do such a good job of it. Just as we're wrapping up quickly, talk to us about the board games. We only have about a minute left. <laughs> the board games, you know, it's because I I grew up playing board games, and that was. Um, a majority of my childhood and my siblings and I still get together as adults and play, you know, these big strategy games. So um, yeah, I just started collecting them and I, you know, too bad you can't see around me. There's, I probably have about 200 board games and I'm always, you know, following the kids around like, let's play a game. (laughs) (laughs) Books and board games. Michelle, thank you for being a guest today. You're a wonderful storyteller. Tell us where people can find you. Oh, sure. MichelleCoxWrites.com. So if you just go to my website, I have all my social media buttons. You can find me there, connect with me. Make sure you sign up for my newsletter. I do huge giveaways every few months. One subscriber is picked and it could be you. And one day we'll get together for a board game. Michelle, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Grace. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.